and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. And I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to the season five wrap up. We're here, Seth. We made it. We made it. Accelerated schedule and all. I'm so proud of us. Indeed. Just as a quick reminder, right off the top, uh, we are setting aside our usual spoiler free podcasting to bring you a spoiler full discussion of season five in the context of the whole series. So if this is your first time watching Buffy and you don't want spoilers for seasons six and seven, maybe skip this episode and come back when you're done the series. Yeah, or let yourself be spoiled away because the last two seasons are controversial and maybe you just you want to know what's coming up. Who knows? Giles getting the mullet was a huge thing for me in season six. Yeah, I agree. And the Buffy and Jonathan love story when it takes off mid-season six (laughs) is epic yeah so (laughs) i can't believe we're here it it came a lot quicker obviously to you and i because we've been recording quickly before i give birth and also a reminder right at the top of the episode for everybody keep sending in your hot steaks you'll hear this and car and i will long be on break at that point but you haven't listened to the last six episodes of season five by the time we go on break so if you have hot steaks for those episodes we still want to hear them And we can do a little mailbag, sunny mail episode at the beginning of season six, just to accommodate your thoughts. That's how much we care about you. So just (laughs) just don't be afraid to send them on in. Or maybe this conversation itself will strike some thoughts in you. And we want to hear them. Yeah. I mean, last time we did this, we did uh, live, right? We did an Instagram live season four wrap up. Oh, I remember. Which was so much fun. Yes. Uh, And I'm sure we will will do more live recordings at some point. Yes. It's the middle of the afternoon in the Eastern time zone right now. So <laughs> Isn't it lovely? I can see the sunshine so nice. shining against your yeah. face. <laughs> <laughs> Not a vampire. Right? Usually we're just we're just shrouded in candlelight <laughs> uh, late at night. And mystery. <laughs> Let's start things off with just a really fun, easy question, right? What are our top episodes of season five? If we're going back and we're just looking at the season kind of episode by episode, what were some bangers for you, Steph? Oh, man. So I liked the season a lot. I don't think it had very many episodes besides Triangle that I didn't really like. Right. So I have, there's like episodes that stand out to me in like, this is a great episode. Checkpoint, obviously The Gift. I really liked Way to the World. Fool for Love. These are episodes that stand out to me but then I also have episodes that I really love because we had such a good conversation about them Ooh, okay you you know like I feel like you and I like maybe the the episode itself is not as remembered or as um celebrated within season five but because you and I talked about them and I enjoyed that convo like into the woods right was really good Mm -hmm. for me I really liked our talk in blood ties crush and of mm. course, I mean, I'm yeah. forgetting all overall the body, 
right? Which was hard of for course. you and I to get through. I, I think the body just, we can just set the body aside as like, <laughs> yeah. that A goes one-off. without saying. <laughs> yeah. and, and like when I was putting together our, our plan for, you know, our, our rough outline of what we would talk about in our wrap up, I thought about adding a, a bullet point to talk about Joyce and stuff. But like, I feel like we talked about her so much in the body and forever, mm-hmm. you know, maybe she's going to come up organically in this conversation, but mm-hmm. I feel like we've said a lot about her, you know, Joyce, uh, Christine Sutherland, like we're going to miss you so much. You were such an important part of our Buffy journey, but I'm happy that they gave her the send off that they gave her, right? They gave her this whole episode around, you know, Buffy and the Scoobies dealing with, Hey, she's dead. And then Forever, which you and I discussed, is like, it's not a throwaway episode. Like this, that Forever is actually the sequel to The Body. And it's actually so good because it deals with like the the space that's left behind afterwards. You can't have The Body without Forever. Come on. And like also, if you're going to die in a series like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, let it be the death that Joyce had where it's so impactful. It changes the trajectory of the way Buffy thinks mm-hmm. and feels about the world around her like again we'll miss you christine we'll miss you joyce stoner joyce forever spoice forever <laughs> but that what a way to go out honestly such a memorable memorable death what about you tell me about yeah. your favorite episodes why how who what where i like i like how you said that there are episodes that we discuss that are really good you know you were just telling me before we started recording i haven't listened yet but spiral apparently were really funny in that one (laughs) (laughs) i love that yeah i enjoyed editing that one (laughs) i i love the episodes where you and i start laughing so hard that like we have to stop (laughs) recording for a moment and just collect ourselves (laughs) because that you know i i enjoy that like i i enjoy doing this with you otherwise i wouldn't do it for five seasons (laughs) of counting so yeah i i think when I talk about season five, I've often said in the past, season five is my favorite season. I think when you and I talked about this way back in our introductory episode, I said like maybe season two or three. Uh, Glory's one of my favorite villains. We'll get to her in a bit. But I agree with you. I think the quality of the individual episodes in this season are very good, regardless of what you think of the overall season arc. I think basically from basically the last half of the season, from checkpoint onwards, mm-hmm. solid. Yeah. Every single episode hits hard and and that that's we're talking like 11 episodes right that is tough to do this was back in a time where you had 22 24 26 episode seasons you would have a lot of filler episodes it's not like these days where we're producing 6 8 10 12 episode seasons and and like every episode is this tightly plotted part of the the story arc you're telling for a season of Buffy to have like 11 solid episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not sure we're going to see that again. Ooh, I, yeah. Um, Good point. Because I, I know season six is pretty up and down. And season seven has a lot of like story arc telling, like serialization going on. But I'm, I'm, mm, I have thoughts about season seven. We'll get there. So yeah, in the last half, I think the ones that stand out for me would be um, Blood Ties because of the Buffy-Dawn relationship there obviously the gift but i want to give a shout out to the second episode of the season real me can you guess why i liked that episode so much could it be harmony yeah it's harmony (laughs) oh harmony like she's just so lovely mercedes mcnab uh the way harmony keeps coming back last season this season 
you know, her kind of doomed love with Spike, uh, the way that she's just following him like a puppy dog, even though he's incredibly abusive towards her. But, like, her whole, like, self-empowerment arc, which really hits in real me, where she throws the rock through the window <laughs> yeah, and calls out the Slayer. Harmony, you're like my hero. Um I want to be I want to be as empowered as you are one day. We love to see her growth from season four to five. Yeah, she also left the show. I'm pretty sure that's the last time we see her on Buffy. Yeah, she goes to Angel. She joins a cult <laughs> and then uh, or or Pyramid Scheme or whatever. Um, but, you know, since we're doing spoilers, Harmony is also one of the best parts of season five of Angel, in my opinion. So, yeah. And this is the thing. So you talked about the last half of season five the first half um real me is definitely in there but then i think we have if you're going to pick episodes that are weaker than the overall story arc and everything then they're all in the first half and they all have riley in them (laughs) oh Um, yeah like riley just disappears like did you do you see how quickly we stopped talking about (laughs) riley um only bringing it up in the context of buffy dealing with him leaving so like episodes like the replacement, listening to fear shadow. These are important episodes, I think. However, in comparison to the rest of the season, those are probably the weakest ones. We had good combos in them, and um, right. they did push the storyline along for both Riley and Joyce's sickness. But yeah, overall, um, I can't say that those are worse than some of the episodes that we've seen in earlier seasons, like season four um, and season two, even, right? Which makes me feel. Like when we talk about our favorite seasons or seasons that are the most coherent or flow the easiest, I might say that season five is is now up there for me. I never thought much of it before, but I do oh, think it's okay. smoother run than season four. I think the storyline is better than season four. Do I think it's better than season two? Ooh, well, no, <laughs> not for the emotional impact with the with the exception of the body for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it flowed as nicely into a season wrap-up as season three did. But at this point, hmm. it's like a contender for like second place between season two okay. and Interesting. It. Yeah. I'm, okay, cool. I enjoyed it. So I obviously one of the biggest changes in this season was the introduction of a new character who not only is a new cast member, but she's always been there. <laughs> always. Never a moment without her. What a move. I mean, we talked about this back when it first happened. And, you know, now that we're able to kind of talk about everything with spoilers, what do we think of Dawn? What is our un uh, ungilded opinion of Dawn here? Because I know she's the, this polarizing character. <laughs> some people love her. Some people hate her. I'm a fan. I like Dawn. I think Dawn serves a very specific purpose in the season. But uh, Michelle Trechtenberg, Trech- I don't know how to say her last name. She really came through in making Dawn believable and relatable. And I empathized with her and yeah, she was angsty, but as we figured out in the season, <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> like, yeah, be angsty Dawn. Lots Steph, is going Steph on. Steph is looking forward to the angsty teenage phase for sure. <laughs> uh, so we, we have a hot stake from Erica about Dawn. Erica says, this is about my daughter, Dawn Summers. <laughs> As you might be able to tell, I love Dawn, and I'm a staunch supporter of her. I've heard people call her insufferable. 
And I have to roll my eyes at this, because I feel like the disdain that a lot of the fandom has for Dawn comes from the disdain for teen girls that society at large seems to have. Dawn is immature. Because she's 14, Buffy had to grow up fast and probably did her best to make sure Dawn didn't also have to. Dawn's seen or heard of traumatic events, most of what she remembers as her life, between Buffy's slaying life, dying and running away, always being in trouble, and the more mundane side, being her parents' divorce and her dad's slow disengaging from her life. I think Dawn's behavior is right on par with a typical 14-year-old who has been through trauma and, as far as I can tell, isn't working through it with therapy or counseling. That isn't to excuse her behaviors but more to highlight that she's a kid who needs some help and someone to talk to. I identify so strongly with Dawn, as I was so similar to her at her age, that I think the writers got a lot of stuff spot on. This leads briefly to my second point. With all the supernatural creatures in the Buffyverse, there's not one counselor who Dawn can rant to about her sister being the Slayer with 100% honesty. Do better, Sunnydale. <laughs> so, Erica, to your second point, I think we all know what happens in season seven when Dawn finally opens up to a school counselor. It does not go well. Yeah, and she has her diaries <laughs> to to let it all out. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Erica. And the thing is, is like I remember uh, I said a lot at the beginning when we first were introduced to Dawn, and we had to get used to her being around. I I did lament. I said she should have been younger, and I don't not agree with me still you know like if i had to go back and talk to my old self i'd be like you still have a point you still have a point i do think that it would have been a different vibe had she been a little bit younger like 10 11 12 i understand why they wanted to make her a little bit older but i think the only flaw with dawn's character this season was that some of the writing for her just seemed a little bit too juvenile and then mid-season or like a little bit into the later half of the season when even Giles is like, she's too old to be babysat. She's too old to be like handheld this way. They started making corrections later on. Dear God, Buffy, we have to come up with a better system. <laughs> I don't know how much more it's, of this I can take. It's not fair to Dawn. <laughs> so I just, I feel like if um they, they course corrected in the middle, but at the beginning of the season, she definitely was babied more than I think her age would have given her right i like erica's point about the disdain that we have for teen girls and i would build on top of that i think there's an unfortunate tendency in nerdy fandoms to celebrate uh women that we see as strong in a particular way when we see female characters like buffy who can kick ass and fight and you know stand up to the men physically in their lives that's what we see as strength and I think sometimes there's a tendency for us to minimize or be dismissive of female characters who are strong in more conventional feminine ways. You know, they're softer, they're more emotional, they're maybe they're not physically strong, but they're, you know, they're still very capable. And I, that's a, that's it, that in and of itself is a form of misogyny that we kind of need to check within our nerd culture and our fandoms. And I think the the idea that Dawn, a lot of the Dawn dislike is uh, disdain for teen girls is right. And I also think that it comes back to this idea that like in nerd culture, we are often hypercritical of women who aren't presented as strong in conventionally masculine ways. Dawn's, you know, screaming and crying and carrying on and diaries and stuff, they, they can make people uncomfortable sometimes because... 
either you know for for people who aren't women watching the show it's kind of like oh like this is just a reminder that i can't ignore the fact that like this 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 is a show about a girl right but she's not like other girls and then for the women watching the show right sometimes we have that internalized misogyny of like oh well i want to be not like other girls right and here we have dawn who is quite stereotypically a teenage girl yeah but there's nothing wrong with that right And, and i think we need to celebrate her for being that for people who do dislike Don, like, that's totally valid, too. You're not required to like any of the characters. Um, you're not wrong for, for disliking her. Uh, I'm just talking more generally about kind of the pile-on that yeah. we face in, in the series. But I just, I, I also think that Dawn in season five, because she is a new character to us, the viewers, she's so raw, you know, she has to get a lot of character development kind of right off the bat, which always happens when you have a, a new main cast member joining the show in mid-series. Dawn in season six, and I think especially season seven, is so good. Like, she grows, you know, Michelle Trachtenberg really gets into the character at that point, uh, and I think her acting has also noticeably improved over the next two seasons. I'm actually very excited to see Dawn's character grow. So am I. All good points there from Erica and yourself, Kara. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, it is a good point that you brought up here, too, that I'll elaborate on a bit, too, is that, like, the reason why I think some people might find Dawn annoying is because they see themselves in her. Because, she, yeah. don't forget, we met Buffy when she was 16 years old. We met all the Scoobies when they were 16. They weren't, like, normal 16-year-olds. I mean, Xander was probably the closest to, like, a 16-year-old boy. But they were all extra ordinary in their own little ways um, because they're fighting the world. They're they're stopping apocalypses. Uh, Dawn steps in and she, for the most part, is a normal 14-year-old girl. So it's harder to look at yourself on screen than to look at someone like Buffy, um, somebody that you would aspire to be more like, right? Because I think many times in this season I was like, oh, yeah, I did that too. I slammed those doors, you know, like I, I was mean to my mom for no reason. These are things that perhaps it's part of internalized misogyny, but it's also just really cringy to think back to that time when you used to act like that. Yeah, cringe core. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, let's talk about other character developments. Or lack thereof. <laughs> Willow Rosenberg. What the fuck happened this season? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Can, can you read that again? I, I, I'm calling back to Willow Rosenberg. <laughs> the vampire. Willow Rosenberg. <laughs> yes, me. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, sorry. Um, yeah, we, we've been so critical of how the writers have given Willow very little in terms of development in an arc this season, other than the fact that she's in a relationship with Tara, which is great. And we can talk about that, too. But like, yeah, sweet. Compared to season four, right? Willow in season four was like, I don't know what I want to major in. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to try this Wicca thing. This seems interesting. I'm going to get better at magic. And and we do see her spend more time on her magic in this season too. But that's like all she is this season. She's just the, the Wicca girl. She's the Wicca lesbian in this season. And yeah. it's like, where is the rest of her development? Don't know. <laughs> right? Like, so season one, right? She was Buffy's sidekick. Um, and we were just getting to know them over 12 episodes. Season two, she got her first boyfriend, her first kiss. Uh, she she dived into magic hard with Resoling Angel. Season three, she had an affair, <laughs> like lost Oz, got him back, was a badass toward Faith. Season four, breakup, coming out, new girlfriend, new Wicca group, all these things. Season five, a whole lot of nothing, uh, of giving Buffy bad advice 
Uh, and then I would say the last like four episodes is when she stepped up and did something. So, yeah, what what in the world? I, th- I think I will blame Don for this a little bit. Yeah. I think the writers spent so much time on Don's development, uh, on Buffy, Don, and Joyce as a family, Anya. and then on Xander and Anya, yeah. and on Buffy and Spike, right? And and Buffy and Riley. Willow just kind of got left out, other than the Willow and Tara stuff. But even like Tara, you know, uh, Tara's presence in this season is very sporadic. She's here and there in a bunch of episodes. And I said earlier, I like she should be, like a she should be a series regular at this point. Yeah. And I will stand by that statement. I think the writers really found themselves balancing a lot more main characters than they were used to in previous seasons. Unfortunately, Willow is the one who loses out. And that's a shame because, like we said, when we got to Tough Love, the fight between Willow and Tara, whose relationship has been nothing but solid, really, like, leading up to that point, their fight came out of nowhere. And I think had they bothered to figure out, is Willow struggling with coming out and being um, and um, identifying as a lesbian and what that means for her identity is she struggling at all with the witchcraft? Like, is she taking on way too much? This all kind of came in one conversation between Willow and Tara and Tara saying that she's scared of her. So had they actually developed that from, let's say, you know, episode seven all the way to that conversation, I think that's an arc. That's interesting, right? How does Willow's changing mm-hmm. identity impact her friendships, her advice, as well as her girlfriend. And I think that would have been really good for her. But we got it in one yeah. small conversation. And we will get more development of Willow next season. Thanks to Willow and Tara kind of stepping up for Dawn in the first part of the season. Willow and Tara bickering more and more. And arguing about Willow's dependence on magic. And then, of course, Dark Willow. Which, <laughs> oh, I can't wait for season six. Like the end of season six. I have a whole rant <laughs> planned out. I just need to. I haven't written it down yet. I got a whole thing. I can't wait. Yeah. But yeah, Willow will get more in season six. I agree with you. 22 episodes too late. You know, we left off on Restless with this really great deep dive on how she's shedding her clothes and her image, right? Like you're wearing your costume, put your costume, you know, you take off your costume. Remember that in Restless? Mm -hmm. And then it's just like, let's put that on hold for 22 episodes and (laughs) let's get back to that season six. Right. We'll wait at season six. (laughs) So we did talk quite a bit about Willow and Tara's relationship as well as what many of our... um, our, our listeners wrote into us about right but one thing i wanted to say about the depiction of willow and tara's relationship representation of a gay couple on tv especially in this era you know i think it's so important that yes they you know they didn't show a lot of like kissing and stuff but every time willow and tara were on screen together it just the 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 care and the attention that went into their depiction as being a couple, mm-hmm. right? Xander and Anya, which we we can talk about next. <laughs> that is a that is a strange fucking relationship right there. <laughs> yeah, Xander is so messy and like he does not treat Anya very well. He's very rude to her, which we've talked about. I love how Willow and Tara, like, yeah, they're gonna have arguments and stuff. We're not saying a couple shouldn't argue, especially like queer couples can argue too, but like. It's such a non-toxic relationship compared to most of the relationships we've seen on Buffy. I I just, I want to shout that out. I want to shout that out because when we have representation on TV, when when there's a dearth of representation of a certain identity, like in this case, lesbians or bi people, you have to make sure that that representation 
has very positive connotations. As we get more and more queer couples on screen, then yeah, we can have queer couples in messy, toxic, fucked up relationships, which we're starting to see now on TV. And I think that's great. It would have been so unfortunate if this first kind of seminal queer relationship for Buffy were a super toxic one. And so I, I really appreciate that here in season five, we see Willow and Tara's relationship handled with so much care. I think that, and, and you know, my opinion might change as we rewatch season six. I think that season six introduces r- like reasonable and believable conflicts into their relationship. Whether or not we're happy with how it ends, we'll see what happens when we get there. But um, but I just I wanted to point that out versus all the other relationships we see in Buffy. Uh, this one, I think, gets handled with a lot of care and dignity. And that's so important. Yeah, I agree. And also so important, Tara's relationship to the Scoobies and how after family, that development in in her inclusion into the Scoobies really, really flourished and she became comfortable with them she contributed she was a contributing member of the scooby gang um and she was there for buffy when buffy needed her Mm -hmm. this is something that i really loved about tara in this in this season in season four i liked her in this season i really came to care about her yeah absolutely so speaking of other relationships xander and anya oh boy I really liked Anya in this season, and I will say we slandered Xander a lot less in this season than we have in the past. So he's, I think Xander and Anya separately have demonstrated a lot of growth, but every time Xander and Anya were together on the screen, I was just like, why? <laughs> what, why? Is, what is the relationship here? What I will say is I liked Anya better in this season than I did in season four because she is getting independent. Yes, she yes. continues to chain herself to this mediocre man you know like she, she obviously is going to start living with him I, I don't think we ever established whether she had officially moved in with him but she's obviously going to at the end of the season obviously they they're going to get engaged some sort of uh affianced situation is happening here xander said he loved her for the first time this season so like so for whatever reason she wants to be with him but anya got a job she discovered capitalism. <laughs> she discovered being American and the pride that comes with that. But more importantly, she's establishing herself not only as a human, but as a very important contributor to the Scooby dynamic. Because in season four, she just was kind of around. And then for the big battle at the end, she, she skedaddled. She wasn't there. But let's not forget that she's the reason they remembered the Dagon Sphere and the Troll Hammer in the final battle in The Gift. Buffy used both of those things to her benefit. And then before that, remember she had all that information about the snake, like the cobra demon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> Rest in peace. Oh, my God. I agree with you. I want, But I also want to point out, like, yes, Anya is being helpful to the Scoobies. She also has a life outside of the Scoobies. Love it. I think Anya and Xander are notable, both of them. Like, Xander is one of the few Scoobies. You know, Giles is a small business owner. Um, I know the other ones are like students and whatever, but like Xander has a job. Xander has a career. He's become a carpenter seemingly overnight. Good for him. Um, and Anya, yes, she's working at Giles's business. But like you said, like she's kind of spreading her wings. She seems to have uh, an existence that isn't tethered to fighting evil like the other Scoobies are, right? Like Buffy and Willow, Tara to some extent, right? Like I, I like I'm just thinking of it from the point of view of let's say for some reason 
I don't know, Buffy dies and <laughs> the Scoobies disband and they stop fighting evil and such. Like, I feel like Anya could go off and succeed. You know, she could grow her money with her online trading or whatever. Like, Anya could be a bad bitch in like a boss bitch mode. And, you know, Xander's got a sealed trade under his belt, which is really good for him. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, their relationship, the way that Xander constantly takes it upon himself to quote unquote educate Anya in the ways of humanity, the way that he, like, he does it in a way that's so undermining and belittling. Oh, but that is classic Xander. I just, I don't know if I'm being unfair to him when I criticize him for that. Because he sounds like, thank you. He sounds like he means well. But it just really rubs me the wrong way. Every single time he said something to her where he's like, Anya, honey, we discussed this as if she's a child. We've been saying this about Xander since day fucking one. He is a self-righteous asshole a lot of the time. And I think he has managed to find himself a companion who allows him to talk down to her and make him feel like a man Mm, that way. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. No wonder he wants to put a ring on it. (laughs) Right? Every time we've watched him get confrontational in the past, you know, like, is that right? And like, I'm going to go find faith and do my own thing. Like, he always thinks he's right. So having Anya as somebody to exercise that feeling of him being right makes sense for him. Do I think he loves Anya? I do. Do I think he's right for her? I don't. I think that they have a very interesting relationship that is there because Anya has been trying to figure out human life and why not tie herself to a human man in a relationship while she figures that out you know what I mean and like because she wants to be uh, incorporated into human life um, I'm sure as we move forward the idea of having a wedding of like one of the most traditional human things that can happen I I know she throws herself into it right right and I think that's that's all part of it so Xander's wrapped up in that so in, in terms of the relationship, I'm not feeling confident <laughs> about it. <laughs> I think it, it's been fine for the most part up until now. Um, but Xander definitely doesn't deserve her. Agreed. Well, and I, I also think Xander is a better person without her because she brings out worse aspects of him. His condescending you know? side. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they're better separately. And so I'm, I'm not going to be sad when they break up in season six. We'll be sad for Anya being sad. But it's kind of like when Riley left this season, I'll be like, yeah, this sucks for you, Buffy, but like, it's for the best. (laughs) But Anya gets over it by having sex with Spike. Oh. (laughs) Oh. We have so much to look forward to in season six. We got so much ahead of us, Kara. Maybe I should have another baby in the meantime. (laughs) Just postpone it a little bit longer. Uh, Let's talk about Giles. Let's talk about Daddy. All right. I love talking about Giles. We can talk about Giles all day if you want. Oh, I love Giles this season. I liked him better than last season where he was floundering. Giles, well, speaking of not having a story arc, right? Like that was Giles last season. It was, Giles' story arc last season was Sad boy. Giles has a TV, everybody. <laughs> Did you know Giles has a TV? Right. And being Spike's roommate. Or and sometimes he wore like an earring, you know? Um, hey, and that's an important part of Giles' development too, you know? Four seasons in, this is the first time we're seeing Giles not have it all together or you know appear to have it all together that's fine but seeing him find purpose again just like Anya in this season he was reestablished as a watcher officially by the watchers council thanks to Buffy but before that unofficially by Buffy herself who told him not knowing that he was going to leave the country 
that she needed him. She needs to figure out more about her destiny and herself, and she needs daddy to help. Yeah. So Giles stepping up after Joyce died and unlike helping with Hank that. Unlike Summers. <laughs> unlike that piece of shit Hank. There's that. And then, and then of course, his development of the magic box. The fact that not, not only is he a small business owner now, but the Watchers Council pays him again. So he is making some bank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His new car. <laughs> um, more importantly, <laughs> his protection of Buffy when it comes to Spike. And also when it comes to Ben and Glory. Like he just, he has Buffy's back mm-hmm. more so this season than ever before. Yeah, Absolutely. One thing I wish we had seen more of is the dynamic between Buffy and Giles in terms of Buffy learning more about being a slayer. You know, we start off the season with Buffy asking Giles to be her watcher again in Buffy versus Dracula, which is so sweet. And then in the next couple of episodes, we see, okay, they've started training again. That's why Giles has created the space at the back of the magic box. Like, like we do see it. I'm not trying to say like, oh, the show just forgot about that angle. I would have liked to see a little bit more beyond, oh, they're training together again. I would have liked to see Giles kind of like, you know, having maybe more conversations with Buffy, like the two of them talking about being a Slayer. I feel like other than Checkpoint, where Giles is like, I could get deported. And Buffy's like, oh, no. <laughs> the, the, the mythology part kind of falls by the wayside until Buffy really needs it again later on near the end of the season. And then they go out into the desert and he does the hokey pokey. I would have liked to see a bit more of that alongside the physical training earlier in the season. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that. I I think there are very notable conversations between Buffy and Giles this season that I remember very clearly because she's leaning on dad. um, She's looking for his advice. But more importantly... She trusts him. She trusts him so much. So the first one, Buffy versus Dracula, right? I need you to help me. I need you to stay and help. In family, right after um, No Place Like Home, when Buffy found out that Dawn is the key, who's the first person she tells? Giles, right? And they have that conversation. And then when she has that conversation with him in Fool for Love about the diaries, like they're going through the diaries and she's like, "I I need to know more about being a slayer. And then when we move into checkpoint, right, like he's being deported and she's like, they they found my weakness, like I can't lose you. And then all the way into the body, him being there, like in, and I've talked about that mm-hmm. extensively, right? The people that are there for you in those moments, you remember those people, like those people matter in in that time right. period. And then of course, in Spiral, when, when, when Giles is dying, stabbed. right? And they have that moment. And then in The yeah. Gift, they have a fight. Right. Very different from the very beginning of the season when they were like, she's like, I need you. I need your help. And this one, Giles is straight up like, kill your sister. <laughs> and Buffy's like, I'm going to kill all of I'll you. I'll kill you. <laughs> do that. Like, right. Like what? Yeah. A, what a change. But You're then right. they had that understanding conversation where they're both just like, damn, like we're fucking tired. Like this is tiring. Well, and that's such a good point, Steph, because I something that really frustrates me about TV shows sometimes is how they'll just kind of make the characters fight for no good reason like they'll just throw random conflict in there because like no no conflict is boring it's boring when our characters get along everything like all of the the giles and buffy butting heads throughout the season in different ways especially in the gift like it all makes sense like the conflict that arises between them is always a sensible conflict based on their values and where they're at in their lives 
we see that in Into the Woods, right? Where Giles is like, Buffy, you know, you can't take on all of these these places. Yeah. <laughs> and Buffy's like, why can't I, right? And it, it's very organic. Yes. And I really do appreciate that. I think that's something that this show has always done pretty well. But especially here is the, the conflict doesn't feel forced because we need these characters not to get along or else the episode won't make sense. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, I think the writers did an excellent job this season of... As much as Buffy and Giles have come together and they're a unit this season, they have sprinkled these moments where perhaps their values don't align. And you just mentioned it into the woods mm-hmm. where Giles is like, yo, like this happens. I didn't think it, it would it should distract you. But Buffy's like, no, I'm taking this very seriously. <laughs> there was that um, when Giles, uh, Buffy wasn't there for that, but he was going to straight up torture that minion. Right. Like, oh, yeah, that. And then, of course, in the gift, when when Giles suggests that they should just kill Don, which, you know, it's not a bad suggestion. Like, they, they definitely should talk about it. <laughs> but then at the end of the day, Giles murders Ben. Right. He suffocates yeah. him. Buffy let Ben go. Buffy gave Ben a pass. And then Giles steps in right behind her. She doesn't like know. the many times that you gave Angel a pass. Buffy <laughs> gives Ben a pass. Me and Buffy are just really biased in who we give passes to. <laughs> But that's what I'm saying. So so as much as like the season did an excellent job of bringing Giles and Buffy together, it's also done a very good job of showing us how they're different. Yeah. Which will carry on, I think, as well into the next couple seasons. So yeah, so it's so good. Yeah. Speaking of another character whose name starts with G, I don't know how else to segue, I'm sorry. Um uh-huh. Let's talk about Glory as the big bad of the season. What we thought of her overall as a villain, as the big bad, as a character. Where does Glory kind of rank for you, Steph? Is she my favorite villain? No. Is she an excellent villain? Yes. That's what I think, too. Oh, great. Um, I think where I'm not feeling that she's the best villain in the series for me is just because she does lack that subtle connection to Buffy. That I, that I like to see mm. in my past villains. I mean, that's why I think, at, at, oh, hey, we've got two more seasons to go. But I think at the end of the day, Angelus might just be my favorite villain because yes. of the emotional problems that come with that. But Glory, I appreciate what the season and what the writers did with her character. They went a completely different route. And I think that's necessary for what could have been the series finale give us something different right like the mayor was big bad adam was like i don't know what that adam was uh but <laughs> but like glory was a god and that remember when when they when they dropped that in checkpoint and we were like oh my god Such as if we didn't know that was, that was literally a mic drop <laughs> moment right there where it right? was like you know they're like she's a god drop the credits be like okay oh, you gotta shit. wait a whole week now because also saying that she's a god expands the world Right. We're no longer dealing with one Hellmouth, right. one Sunnydale. We're dealing with multiple dimensions. We've always known there's like hell dimensions and stuff, but they all could have opened up in this one episode. Right. And that's huge. It's a mm-hmm. huge apocalypse. And Glory brought that about. So I have to give her respect. I agree. Yeah. Um, I love what you said about opening up the world. To me, that is one of the reasons why Buffy as a series is so fascinating to return to and rewatch over and over it's the way this series grows from hey what if a blonde girl could kill vampires to what if the blonde girl is fighting the literal (laughs) embodiment of all evil by the end of the series right um they they do a really good job of building out the the mythos of the buffy verse and glory as a god as you said is such a great example of that claire kramer fantastic actor 
which I think is true for all of our big bads, even Adam's actor, right? Like all of our big bads in previous seasons were just so good at kind of being that character. And I think that's so important because we all love a good villain. (laughs) I agree with you about Glory being a great villain, but not being the best villain. I think I said previously that maybe the mayor was my favorite. Just the way that he handles being evil is just so great. Yeah. My issue, I think I said this in our season four on trial episode, I think Glory's quite overpowered versus Buffy. And we saw that a little bit with Adam. We see that a lot with Glory in this season. You know, the fights between Glory and Buffy, like the quipping is good. But, you know, because Glory can literally just swap Buffy like a fly... It's not as dramatic. And so, so much of the season's drama has to come from Buffy and the gang defeating Glory's hijinks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like Buffy versus Angelus where they could really fight it out and like they were much more evenly matched. So when they did have that combat, it was much more interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a weakness for Glory as a big bad in terms of dramatic interest in the tv show you know what's not a weakness for glory the minions <laughs> oh the minions are i'm gonna miss them whatever happened like where did they come from? i want to know their story like where did they come from yeah. what happened to them where did they go after she dies but yeah i mean i greatly enjoyed the minions actually they elevated the season for me because i just found them so fucking funny would i say they're as dynamic as let's say mr trick <laughs> or alan the deputy mayor <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I think I think the deputy mayor is a better comparison. Uh Mr. Trick was just Mr. Trick is more of a lieutenant, right? right. Like Spike was to Angelus or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The minions are just they're minions and they're lovely. And you know, the other thing about Glory as a big bad is she's our first female big bad. The past four seasons, Drusilla. the big bad has always been a man. Drusilla wasn't a big bad. Okay, though, that's right. She was a villain. Drusilla would have made an excellent big bad if you oh, know, for sure. If they had chosen her for a but different we, season. But we didn't get that right. And this is, you know, I don't think it's a, a coincidence that Claire Kramer's blonde, right? Like this is Buffy fighting. This is two blondes fighting. So I think that's significant. So we have a powerful woman with a whole bunch of. Up until the the end of the season, the minions seem to be mostly men or exclusively men. So, like, you know, she's she's the queen. She's rocking uh, her little uh, gaggle of of guys there <laughs> that she's ruling over. I love it. I do think it's a little problematic that this is our first female villain, where she's just yet another manifestation of Joss Whedon's obsession with this idea of the broken girl trope. If you watch more and more of Joss Whedon's shows, you see this come up again and again. Joss Whedon loves broken girls. Weird girls, creepy girls, strange girls. Um, We see it in Firefly with River Tam. Uh, We see it in Dollhouse with Echo and some of the other dolls. The stream of consciousness that Glory has when she talks, her kind of manic way of talking, especially when we're first introduced to her. Joss Whedon is very fixated on women. Like we see this with Fred in Angel as well. Like he's fixated on women who either have gone through some kind of trauma or otherwise have something going on kind of psychologically or mentally that makes them strong yet vulnerable at the same time, mm-hmm. right? They're kind of like they're, they're physically strong or they have powers or like in Fred's case, like she's like super smart, but in a sexy way. But they also have this almost like childlike vulnerability to them. And it's fucking creepy. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I could totally see that happening with Glory's character in this season. I never really ever focused on the fact that she's struggling with her mental health. You know what I mean? Like, um, we obviously pointed it out when we saw it. Uh, but there is that huge element and uh, theme around her character, because not only does she struggle with keeping her sanity, but she turns the people around her insane as well. Right. Which is really interesting. And obviously, I'm glad that Tara got... Did, did all those victims get... Did they end up like Tara? Did they get their sense We back? never know, but I, we never know. I'm going to assume no. I'm going to assume that they went wherever the minions went and are living in a different world. <laughs> like, all together. Let's get to one of our hot stakes because I want to point out something that um, I don't think I ever noticed, but Red noticed it a lot and said... I hate how the remaster ruins the final episode for me slightly. The episode has a blue tint in the original making an emphasis on the dark and hopelessness everyone experiencing. But the moment Buffy realizes she can sacrifice herself instead of Dawn, she sees the sun rise showing that hope has finally broke through. But in the remaster version, all of that tone setting from the color grading is gone. Ooh, that's interesting. So I'm, as I've said in the past, I am watching rips from the dvds that i own so these are like you know 480p dvds uh not the remastered version so i don't see any of this stuff mm-hmm. so what do you think of that stuff yeah i didn't i don't notice these things either i'm watching on disney plus i'm just like lu, lu, lu. but there have been times where you and i are kind of saying um to each other was it nighttime was it not like particularly in <laughs> i was made to love you so my understanding is that if you're watching the hd remaster there are a lot of scenes where you can tell that it's supposed to be nighttime, but it's clearly daytime when they were shooting it, which is interesting to me. I, I just I love that you wrote in about this red because I, I again I am very much an amateur when it comes to talking about film techniques. So you know I sound like I know more than I actually do, but I, I love color grading. I love this idea that like what we actually see the final product can be so different, and uh, the way we view it can be influenced by how. Uh, the director of photography and then the edited team uh, change like literally the the hues and values of the colors that we're seeing on our screen. It's so fascinating to me. So I love it when people bring up like visual storytelling like this. We just recorded the gift. So this is all (laughs) fresh and raw for you and I, Steph. But like, I remember saying the other day, like that episode, just it's so well put together. And this is just another example of that. Yeah, exactly. So thanks, Red. Red pointed out something that she disliked let's point out something that we dislike in this season and that is the creepy perverted direction that they have taken spike's character i don't know like we're gonna put spike on trial one day right don't know when yet one One of these days we'll be having a spike on trial episode so we can talk about this but i think we have to Kara, address this a little bit now because what a season for that character and what a season for you and I getting pushback. But Steph, in another whole season, Spike's going to get a soul. Right? Everything's going to be fine. We should let it go. <laughs> um, uh. Uh, so we coined the phrase from our Discord, uh, from the people in our Discord who came up with this phrase, Spike Dislike or Spike Spite same tone as xander slander i feel like spike dislike is when we're describing what we dislike about spike and then spike spite is when we're just absolutely like totally destroyed (laughs) well we've had quite the rant sessions in this season and the thing is they're justified (laughs) 
<laughs> like it's okay for Kara and I not to like that he sniffs her panties. It's okay uh-huh. for us to call him out for being a misogynist for building a sex bot of Buffy who happens to be the heroine of this show. So I'm bringing this up now because we have <laughs> gotten many messages, emails, DMs, comments from Spike fans who are upset that we have critiqued him in such a way. I don't think they're upset that we point out these things are perverted and gross. I think they're upset that we're not bringing context into our discussions, if I am to quote directly from some of these comments. But the context that they want us to bring in is the fact that in a season from now, he will get a soul and he will make up for these things. But Kara and I are not there yet. Okay, all we see by the time we get to Crush and by the time we get to I Was Made to Love You or Intervention is Spike abusing Buffy's body, her image, her agency. And we're going to call that out. And we've always said this. And I think this is funny, too. <laughs> Here's my I'm ranting. I'm doing Spike's bite right now. Um, <laughs> I'm here for it. We've received messages from fans. And uh, hey, I'll also add a lot of the times they're very respectful of us, right? Yes. Shout, yeah. shout out to people who write in being like, well, I'm still a fan of Spuffy, but I really appreciate your commentary. Yes. Uh, or the people who are like, you've helped me reevaluate Spike, right? Like, Love again, it. and I think I've said this before, but for the sake of any Spuffy out there who's still listening to us, <laughs> thank you for hanging in there. There is nothing wrong with shipping Spike and Buffy. You are allowed to do that. You're not a bad person for doing that. Uh, I think what Steph and I are addressing here with Steph's rant is <laughs> we are also going to criticize Buffy, right? And we may disagree with your interpretation, and that is okay as well. And we are not an unbiased podcast. And I don't think you and I have ever said we're unbiased. And that's what I want to get at is the surprise, the surprised tone in which some of these messages come through. Yeah, it's the tone policing that really gets me. Yeah, where they're like, you know, this isn't what we signed up for. We didn't think you would be this way. And I was like, when? <laughs> like, when? I didn't did think we... I would I didn't think I would be this way either, either, but somebody's radicalized me in the past season or so. Kara, I'm pretty sure it was in our our season wrap up of season 2 when you said straight up Spike is not going to have a great time on this podcast because we believe and we know that he is a misogynist. In his first episode in season two, you you brought that up and we had our first little taste of Spike's bite. So it shouldn't be surprising that we the way we come for Xander would be similar to the way we come for Spike. And as much as people say like, oh, we gave Angel a pass. Well, I'm sorry. Angel never sniffed Buffy's panties as far as I could tell. Angel didn't build a sex I'm bot just, of her. I am really tired of how people defending Spike try to tear down Angel to defend Spike. You can criticize Angel. You can criticize Buffy and Angel's relationship all you want. We've criticized Buffy's and Angel's relationship at times. We had Angel on trial. <laughs> we did. Um, there's a lot about Buffy and Angel's relationship to criticize. But the idea that tearing Angel down as a paramour for Buffy somehow makes Spike a more appropriate paramour, I don't understand it. And I also, I think it really hurts the case that you're actually trying to build, right? Like people are always like, well, Angel did this terrible stuff, whether or not he has soul, right? Like, oh, he had a soul here, he didn't. And this obsession with having a soul, not having a soul, it's like, you know, or the idea that like, oh, like Spike's supposed to, you know, Spike, yeah, Spike's a demon, but like this is a show about demons. It's like there's so much parsing to be done here. I think a lot of people who defend Spike should go out and look for 
to get a legal degree because <laughs> you could make very good lawyers with the <laughs> the amount that you're looking for loopholes here. Yeah, I just I I just don't know. I don't know how to talk about Spike versus Angel in that way because to me it's so hard. They're such different people. Yes, they're vampires who both at some point are going to have souls. Yes, they're both into Buffy. That's about where the similarities end for me. I don't ever mistake them as looking like one another because <laughs> one's brunette and one's blonde. So there's that. Perfect. But like Buffy and Angel's relationship is so different because Buffy was so young and that comes with its own host of complications, sure. which we have talked about on this them. podcast. Critique them away, you know? Yeah. But like Buffy and Angel have their thing in the first couple of seasons and then they break up because they're not right for each other anymore in that moment. And then Buffy moves on to the corn. the brown paper bag <laughs> Riley guy. Yeah, some corn, mini weeds. Corn-fed Iowa boy. Yeah. You know, she moves on to Riley. Say what you will about what you think about Spike and Buffy and their chemistry and whether they should be in a relationship together, right? But like by the time that Buffy and Spike finally, shall we say, consummate mm -hmm. their relationship in season six, Buffy is a grown-ass woman. She's what, 20... 21. One at that point, probably yeah. She's twenty one, so she's she can drink now. Finally, <laughs> even though she, she drank a stamp of the bronze. This this season, she you drank know, a little bit of the bronze. <laughs> she's she's died twice, right? Mm -hmm. She's in a very different place. It's really hard for me to compare Buffy and Angel versus Buffy and Spike because it's not. It, this is not the same thing as a YA novel where you have, you know, the girl in high school. And two competing love interests, no. right? This is not a concurrent love triangle where she's like, well, do I choose between, you know, the brunette or the blonde, right? Like, no, it's like she had Angel for a time. She had Riley for a time. She had Spike for a time. They never compare Spike versus Riley. <laughs> they should be. Uh, different Buffies for different men, different stages of her life. Yeah. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We have been accused... And we have lost listeners who need to tell us that this has become a Bangel podcast. And that is why, as a Spuffy, they can no longer listen. Well, I am offended. I know. And I'm like, well... I am not Bangel. How many times do I have to say this? Do they not hear you, Cara? Are they only <laughs> hearing me? Is it, are you doing something weird with the editing where sometimes they download it and it's just you talking? Because nobody ever comes for me. I figured out the only platform that they listen from... <laughs> I edited it perfectly for that. Um, no, but what I want to say to that is it is possible for me to dislike Spike and the things he does to Buffy in season five, and it has nothing to do with Angel at all, right? Spike's abuse, Spike's misogyny, Spike's perverted behavior toward Buffy does exist on its own. My feelings for Angel... Do not get in the way of my dislike for Spike in these scenes. Right. Because he's being a pervert. So just because for the first three seasons we got a love story that I really liked between Buffy and, and Angel doesn't mean that that's the only reason I don't like Spike. Right. I don't like Spike because Spike's being fucking gross. Period. Mm -hmm. So moving forward, I know a lot of people, we've already lost them. That's okay. Um, not everyone's going to want to hear it. You and I understand that. But... If you choose not to move forward with us because season six is a lot of Spike and Buffy and hey, who knows what Carr and I are going to say about it. Season seven is going to be a lot of Spike and Buffy. Who knows what we're going to say about it. 
Car and I don't know yet. <laughs> We're not We there. don't know. And and honestly, <laughs> if I had to make a prediction, I think I am going to be nicer to Spike in season six, except at the end of it, and we will get we will there. Get there. Because I think that, you know, as much as I may not agree with Buffy and Spike's relationship in season six, I think it is very believable and understandable for what she goes through having come back from the dead. All I was thinking about this this morning, thinking about watching season six in, in the months to come. The problem with coming back from the dead is not that you came back from the dead. It's that everybody around you has to adjust to the fact that you came back from the dead. Um, all of the human Scoobies treat Buffy weirdly after she comes back from the dead. Spike is the only person who treats her like a person. And who because he's so used to weird supernatural shit his entire life, right? Like he's been around for 200 years. He understands supernatural stuff kind of on this visceral level. So he is good for Buffy in the sense that he's there for her and giving her the comfort that she thinks she needs. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this now, just in case there are any Spuffies who are like, I'm going to check out the season five wrap up. And if you made it through the last <laughs> several minutes, <laughs> great. Like, I, and I'm not trying to bait you. I'm not trying to be like, oh, hang on. Like, maybe we'll be nicer in season six. No. I can't promise that, like yeah. Steph said. But I want to point out, right, that like our views on Spike will continue to evolve as they have with all of these characters. So if you want to come along for the ride and listen to our opinions, even when you disagree with us, great. And you're allowed to disagree with us and you're allowed to write in with your, you know, hot stakes and lengthy essays and stuff. We will read them. We do read them. We read them and we reply. Just don't yeah. just don't be so shocked, please. <laughs> just just like, let's just remember that we've never promised that we weren't going to be unbiased. And more importantly, that we are actually backing up our criticism of Spike with facts. <laughs> like this, these are why we do I it. I can't wait for the uh, the Warren defenders in season oh, six. Can we awesome? hear from the Warren Beers apologists out right? there? Uh, I'd be very curious. I mean, hey, we the first couple seasons, we got it from the Xander fans. Now we're getting it from Spike fans. Maybe Warren fans are out there. The, Z- the Xander fans were never as bad, though. Like, the Xander people were just like, we like Xander. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, I like I him. I don't know. Like him. Don't listen to us. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, and I will say, too, and we're not baiting anybody. We genuinely don't know what we're going to feel for Spike, for Spike and Buffy moving forward. Because I'm watching it episode by episode and taking in it as we go. But I'm mm-hmm. with you, Kara. I, Buffy's going to come back from the dead um, with a whole new attitude (laughs) you know like a whole new situation going on from what we've seen of her up until now she died for a reason right you don't just come back who you were before and i think spike being there during that time is gonna be really fascinating to watch yeah and there's gonna be times where you and i are gonna be like okay 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 you know so let's just take it episode by episode everybody just it's a spoiler free podcast we cannot (laughs) jump forward the way you want us to but please if you want to stick with us it's gonna be a journey all right. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Uh, yeah, Buffy comes back from the dead. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> because, Steph, as we learned in this season, it took us a while to get there, but we learned death is her gift. I can't. Like, can you believe <laughs> that that her gift was death in the in the end? Because I can't. We have a hot steak about that, don't we? <laughs> we do. So we have a hot steak yeah. from Allie who says, this is a hot steak about death being the only way out of slaying for Buffy. While listening to Fool for Love, I had a thought about the conversation revolving around Buffy only getting out of slaying through death. My theory is that when she died in season one, and the next slayer was called forth, that it no longer applies to Buffy. Hear me out. 
Kendra was called forward. She is now the true slayer because Buffy died. Uh, When Kendra died, Faith was called forward. But at the end of the season, when Buffy dies, no one is called forward. That'd be because, in terms of the prophecy, Buffy has already died and is no longer the true slayer, and therefore the idea that death is the only way out is not valid. The writers should have called a second slayer forward in season six. Yeah, I, I think you might have mentioned that. I don't know if you mentioned this in the gift, and I, I thought, like, ooh, is that a spoiler or not? I don't think we established until season six that, like, Buffy dying won't trigger another slayer because she's already died, and so the line goes through faith now. That's just what I always believed. Whether or not that's canon, right. I'm not sure. That's just, like, the way I saw well, it. Well, it is canon as of season six, because I think they do explicitly address it at some point, okay. just to yeah. clarify for the, the fans. Yeah, like this whole season is Buffy coming to terms with the fact that she will probably die on the job. The whole series. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, that's what Spike's talking about in Fool for Love. And, and we've talked a lot about does Buffy have a death wish in this season? I, I spent a lot of time on that at the end of the gift. But I think another thing to think about is it's like, let, let's say for the moment she doesn't have a death wish. Let's say that I'm right. She doesn't have a death wish. But like, what are the possible end games for Buffy here? At some point, if she survives long enough, she is going to be older, right? Like, how much longer can she fight evil for before she maybe has to step back into a less active role? I actually just got from my library today a comic called Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer. Um, And it's set in the future where Buffy is in her 50s and she finds a girl that she thinks might be the last slayer. I haven't read it yet, and I don't normally read comics, but I just I picked it up from my library. They had a big girl power display, and they had Supergirl and Buffy, and I'm just like, oh, I'll give it a try. But I, I think that's such an interesting idea. Is it's like, if Buffy doesn't get killed, how long can she be an active slayer before she has to step back, right? Well, something that you actually brought up in the gift, Kara, was that the reason they had that whole scene at the beginning where Buffy slays a vampire, and then at the end, she's you know, killed, saving the world from a god. It's like, whoa, weren't, wasn't she just supposed to be fighting vampires this whole time? And here she is battling gods and ascensions and all these things, and the government. This je- this conversation and this hot stake from Allie, again, reiterates what I always thought, which is that, yeah, Buffy died already. Therefore, she's out of the line. She's kind of an anomaly at this point. And her being an anomaly could be why she has to fight these extraordinary creatures and apocalypses that a normal vampire slayer probably didn't have to go up against. But for whatever reason, Buffy surviving the prophecy in Prophecy Girl, maybe it just shook things up. And again, that is why Buffy has her own show. She's extraordinary. Well, and, and whether or not she's like the true slayer anymore, right? She still clearly has her Slayer abilities. Um, she's still able to connect to the Slayer line, because we saw that with Restless. And then, you know, in Season 5, she she, wants, she talks to a spirit guide of some kind who, you know, takes the form of Sinea. Um, I love that the show's getting more into Slayer history in this season. I know, I know we're going to get more of that finally in Season 7. I think it's really fascinating. I, I think it's great that we're kind of looking at the origins of what is it to be a slayer and and what does that mean for Buffy and this idea that death is her gift. (laughs) It's like, does that mean she's a killing machine? Does that mean she can't be human? You know, like that was the promise at the beginning of season five with Dracula, right? He's like, there's like darkness in you and it's sexy. Now I'm going to bite you. Ooh, yeah. Take us back. (laughs) 
thought you might like that. Yeah, I, that was for I you, did. Steph. I did. Thank you. Yeah, totally. Um, I, and I want to say I'm very excited for that. I always love that part of the series, right? The the theme of girl power. What does it mean? What does it mean to have it? What does it mean to share it if you can, right? Excited to see a lot more of that in the last couple seasons. Well, I also think there's something very dualistic going on here because we often associate womanhood with giving life, right? This idea that being a woman is to be a mother, which you know, is somewhat gender essentialist, but it is a trope in our culture. So for for this idea of there being a woman who is the slayer and death is her gift instead of giving life, mm-hmm. that's a very fascinating kind of contradiction, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, seeing how Buffy struggles with that idea, but then finds empowerment in it in other ways too. So let's not forget Checkpoint. Let's not forget her awesome speech where she tells the Watcher's Council, what the fuck is up, right? I have the power, you don't, so you work for me. Uh, love it. Hope we see more of that moving forward. And speaking of the Watchers Council, I know that we got a hot stake from Shelby who wanted to say that uh, they were surprised there wasn't any brief commentary from us, I assume, <laughs> on how the writers for Buffy and Angel seem to have no problem justifying pay for Angel, but can't seem to get the Watchers Council to do to, at the very least, cover a Slayer's basic living expenses. It's something that has always pissed me off and, to me, is a perfect example of media reinforcing the gender pay gap. I work in libraries, a field historically dominated by women, as well as being a field historically underpaid, like a lot of other nonprofit fields, because we are constantly fed the narrative that the money doesn't or shouldn't matter, and we're there for a purpose and for a passion. And I feel like these same BS reasons are used to argue why Buffy doesn't get paid, she can't ask for money because she's a hero because it's her destiny and her purpose but angel still gets a check fulfilling her destiny and the powers that be it's always made me so mad so i'll be honest um shelby i don't know about angel's paychecks <laughs> maybe i'd have to rewatch well, angel a- to know. angel doesn't get a paycheck from the powers that be but you know the whole point of angel is he starts his own business in la angel investigations mm-hmm. so he's he's charging there is a funny kind of like su- like uh st- side story arc in the first season or so where he's like where, where cordelia is trying to get him to like ask people for money after he saves their lives <laughs> classic cordelia <laughs> classic exactly yeah. yeah um and then of course famously in season five he goes to work for the bad guys uh and he gets that fancy lawyer paycheck but um shelby i mean that really resonates with me because like you i i am working in a woman dominated field I, i'm a teacher uh, also kind of historically underpaid despite what people might think about teachers uh we are underpaid at least here in ontario and i know it's even worse in the states and same as what you just said i wrote a blog post about this last year it's like you know people talk about our profession as if it's this calling and we should just do it because we love it and who cares if we get paid enough and it's like well i kind of want to make a living (laughs) i kind of want to survive and and flourish right and thrive so i think you're you're spot on in your analysis here shelby this is very common in a lot of stories of superheroes and stuff it's just this idea that your your superhero gig has to be your side gig and you still have a day job usually when you have a secret identity that's one thing that buffy doesn't have right is she 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 has this context collapse where her her life is slaying and i think that is part of the problem for her that's how i feel about our podcast i feel like you and i should have this podcast be sponsored by disney so we can do it as a living (laughs) and then our careers are like you know our secondary i I mean 
we will sell out. Um, <laughs> if you're listening, Mouse. I think that's a joke that our, our listeners don't hear us say, but pretty often off recording, Car and is always like, you know how fast we would sell out? Like, so fast. <laughs> if anybody wants to pay us to change our minds about Spuffy, please, you know, tell us how many zeros. <laughs> we'll think about it. Let's just say, let's just say. We could be bought. If it's over 100 bucks. If, I in mean, this economy spike on trial has yet to happen so if you want to sponsor that episode we will have nothing but great things to say about that um <laughs> no no it's so true um definitely a theme that a lot of people talk about around you know buffy and giles and the watchers council is that it's unjust buffy should definitely be getting paid faith should have been taken care of back in season three so much injustice when it comes to that. Ooh, the patriarchy. Let's finish it off, Steph. Let's talk about perhaps like the elephant in the room, if you will. I think this is a conversation. When I was Googling a few days ago, talking about season five and stuff, I saw a lot of like clickbait content mill articles bringing this up. Uh, I know Veronica over on our Instagram asked us this question directly. It's a great question. Do we think Buffy the Vampire Slayer should have ended here on season five instead of going for two more seasons i have pondered this now that i've rewatched the entire season it's a hard question to answer me knowing what's to come in season six and seven i would have been okay with this being a serious finale i think i would have been okay with that and that's because buffy has completed her journey and the way that they showed her just being so done and tired but then at the end when she sacrifices herself, she's at peace. And she's like, this is what I can do for you. What an epic way to go. We want Buffy to go epically mm. if she were to go at all. And there's something very final about death, right? The main character's death. So mm -hmm. I'm glad that they continued on. I am because I, we, oh, you, you want more cookies, right? You want more, you want more Buffy and the Scoobies. But um, if they had ended it here, I think it would have been a satisfying ending. Yes, I think if they had ended it here, I would have liked to see a little bit more of a coda after the gravestone where we saw the rest of the Scoobies kind of moving on with their lives. I want to know yeah. what happens. Like you know, a, does like Don go to live with Hank? Like maybe like a two hour finale instead. Well, yeah, like yeah. Let, let's have a the body and forever kind of treatment for Buffy. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's what I would have liked to see. I agree with what, everything that you said there. I thought another interesting way to think about it, because we talk a lot about this show versus like how it might be produced nowadays, you know, obviously, they're always dangling the idea of a Buffy reboot in front of us. Here's the thing, and this might be a spicy hot steak of my own. I think if we were making Buffy the Vampire Slayer today, it wouldn't get more than season five. Here's why. I contend that television production and the way we portray women on television is actually becoming more misogynistic these days. Mm, interesting. I think it's part of this larger reactionary backlash that we're seeing in our culture. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm very biased, obviously. I'm a huge fan of Supergirl, the TV show on the CW. It got six seasons and then it got canceled. And other DC Arrowverse shows have had a lot more seasons. You know, The Flash is just finishing out its ninth season right now. And I'm not saying that's entirely due to misogyny. I know that t TV production is very complicated. There are a lot of reasons that certain shows will get canceled. The CW as a network is not doing well right now. So I'm not saying they cancel Supergirl because it's a show that focuses about 
focuses on a female main character and has a lot of women characters on it. But I think that's a contributing factor. I, I think that, you know, when we look at the kind of coverage and support and promotion that shows like Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, like the Disney uh, Marvel shows that have female main characters receive less positive attention and much more criticism from, you know, the, the wider kind of blogosphere of our pop culture critics. And then on top of that, right, we have all of these, uh, you know, like sapphic shows like Warrior Nun or um, First Kill on Netflix, right? And I know Netflix just loves canceling TV shows in general, but like you keep dangling sapphic love stories in front of us and then you yank them away from us, Netflix and other TV uh, content producers. It's not on. Like, stop doing that. <laughs> it's bad. Um, we are in this weird paradox where we have more content, more representation, more representation of women, of queer people, of disabled people than ever before. But also that content tends to be canceled more quickly and it tends to receive less support than more mainstream content that might also get canceled quickly for other reasons, right? And, and so I think that in today's environment, it would be a lot harder for Joss Whedon to take his show and shop it to a different network. Because that, that's what happened to Buffy back in the day, right? Is it left the WB after season five, they managed to find a home for it on UPN because UPN was a new network that was like, yes, give us Buffy. We'll take her. <laughs> It'll help us establish our street cred, yeah. right? And I just, I don't know that that would happen. I don't know that like, you know, you could take Buffy to Netflix or something uh, in this current environment, I'm not sure that they would take a chance on two more seasons of this show. And I could be wrong. People could write in with different thoughts. I'm curious to see. I think the show could have ended here. I think you're right. I like that it kept going. Uh, I know that this is controversial. I like season six. I think it's a good season. It does have its rough spots, but I really do enjoy a lot of the development that we see. I'm curious to see as we go what we think about season seven about how the show does end you know because she doesn't die at the end of season seven again and i'm curious to see what we think of the season seven finale versus season five as a finale yeah i'm too actually and I, my suspicion and hey we're a year away from that can you believe that a year at least it's going by really quickly <laughs> uh my suspicion is that i will think if you're a fan of the first like the, the early Buffy years, because I know sometimes people are like, which years are like better? Like seasons one to three or four to seven. If your favorite seasons happen to be the first couple ones, then this is the series finale for you. Uh, if mm. you're somebody who, what is it? Like wants your cake and eats it too or whatever. Like I think um, you would really enjoy the fact that we have two more seasons and then another kind of season finale. Right. But there's this is this one to me is the ending of the show as we know it from when we began in season one. That's fair. Yeah, I, I see that. I mean, I am one of those people who thinks that Stargate SG-1 should have ended at the end of season eight. Mm -hmm. And I like seasons nine and ten. I'll, I still watch them, but sometimes I pretend season eight is the finale <laughs> because the show changes so much in seasons nine and ten. Mm -hmm. And that's I think it's very similar to what happens to Buffy in season six and seven. Yeah. And I, hey, I like when um, shows change it up. And I think that's exactly what season six and seven does. They they, they change up the traje trajectory. Um, they change the tone in a lot of ways. Buffy's older at that point. So it makes a lot of sense. I agree with you, though. Like, it, there should be more. If that was truly the series finale, it's not enough 
they need to have at least 15 more minutes of like the funeral maybe um dawn grown up and telling buffy's story through her diaries i don't know something <laughs> right <laughs> oh dear yeah yeah um so i, I want to conclude things steph by saying you are my hero of this season <laughs> what you're my hero <laughs> i'm just gonna repeat it right back to you <laughs> Yeah, but now it just sounds like you're copying I know. Me, so. I was like, well, well fuck you, Kara, because now what am I going to say? Like, you're... That's better. That's what I'm expecting from you. Um, you're my hero, Steph. Um, you know, by the time our, our listeners are hearing this episode, of course, you will have already had your baby. But I'm just so excited for you to be a mom and for us to have a third prophecy girl who's going to join us in the recordings <laughs> in season six. Um and I, lo- I love doing this with you. And we're going to keep doing this. And we'll see we'll see what comes after season seven of Buffy. We got lots of exciting stuff happening between now and then. We got lots more bonus episode ideas, guests, collaborations. Uh, so this, you know, you're going to hear a couple of bonus episodes between now and when we come back. Uh, hopefully around end of June for season six. We will see what happens. Obviously, stay tuned to our social media Join us on our Discord. Uh, we will always keep you updated through those channels. Please email us, prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com with hot stakes, vintage hot stakes, suggestions for bonus topics, suggestions for like collaborations and guests you want to see, TikToks you want to see from Steph. <laughs> like, you know, hit us with all your ideas. And we should add <laughs> that we do have a lot of vintage hot stakes because we have a, we've gained as much as I said earlier. We've lost listeners for various reasons, <laughs> um, just one reason. But we have gained a lot more this season, and that's yeah. really exciting for us. But that means that people are catching up as we finish season five. They're on season two three, four, and they're sending us hot steaks and we love that. So we have a collection of them that we're calling Vintage Hot Steaks and that is going to be part of the Sunny Mail episode that we can do um, when we return from leave. Clara's absolutely right. Keep talking to us. It's going to be um, a big change for me and I thank you, Clara. That was a very sweet message that you gave. I Now i got to return the favor, obviously, and I just want to say feedback that I receive on Instagram, TikTok, whatever – Everyone agrees, Kara, we're all more intelligent having listened to you for the last two years. I tell you all the time. Like, Actually, one of my favorite messages, I saved it as a little screenshot, was sometimes Kara and I, yes, we're very soppy sometimes, and we just <laughs> send each other compliments over Messenger. Um, but one time I told you, and I meant it, I said, I love talking to you every week because it makes me smarter. And I and you were like, and you make me braver. And we just had this like wonderful exchange, probably on like a Tuesday night. And it was it was lovely. But everyone agrees. Um, I think you're such a big part of why people tune in because they want to hear what you have to say and what you're thinking. And they agree with you. Well, thank you. And we're making people rewatch the show with new eyes. Your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take my eyes. No, but you're such a teacher at heart, and we love having your guidance. I as really we am. <laughs> you re- no, you really are. And what a thing we've built together. Car and I, everybody, Car and I are just so proud of what we've done. And this, this break is going to be our longest break since we began two years ago. Because you're having your second baby. This was your first baby. Yes. My first prophecy <laughs> no, girl. Your second one. <laughs> And then my second one will come. The question will be, everybody, when we return, did I name her Cordelia? Did you name her Prophecy or Girl? <laughs> yeah. Did which... you name her Spike or Angel? <laughs> did I name her Bangel 
or did I name her just Angel? <laughs> That's the question. Um, so you'll find out when we return. Uh, again, enjoy our bonus episodes. Enjoy speaking to us over our social channels and on Discord. But overall, I also want to thank all of our listeners for sticking with us. Five seasons. Yes. It's not a small task. It's not a small accomplishment. We did it. It's been two years. I'm really excited for the last year. Agreed. Yeah. And thank you again, all of our listeners, uh, especially people who talk on our social media, comment, share our podcast. Uh, and thank you to all our Buy Me Coffee supporters. We really do appreciate the support if you are able to give it to us. Uh, and a special thank you to our chosen ones. Emma, Teza, Kyle, Destiny, Erica, Allison, Jace, Haley, and Tasha. Lizzie, Holly, Kayla, Jordan, Julian, Nicola, Luis, Joshua, and Reese. All right. We will see you soon. Talk to you soon. Listen to you soon. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook prophecy underscore girls on twitter also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our discord can't wait to hear from you praise malik see you next week